Please support Unfound through its accounts at Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube. On this episode, I examine a theory about a serial killer in Columbus, Ohio. I read about more Dan Markell murder trial news. I have another freezer story. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including a concert and non-concert. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for January 22nd, 2024. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. It is Unfound Live for November 22nd, 2024. We are already uh, 22 days into this year. That's pretty crazy, uh, I think, uh, if I may say so myself. It's going fast. I can't believe it's been over three weeks since I flew back from Pennsylvania after spending a couple weeks weeks there, and then before that in Colorado. I just don't know where the time goes. So I have a nice, uh, really cool, lots of stories uh, to talk about tonight. Uh, I'm going to try to get to the... Uh, at least uh, I missed one story last week that I didn't get to regarding this internet profit disappearances connected to this uh, cult guy online. I have another story about body parts being found in a freezer. Remember, we talked about that last week. I got more to say uh, quite a bit. Uh, well, I... I I have to admit, I copied quite a bit of material. I don't, I'm, of course, not going to read all of it, but more regarding uh, the murder of Dan Markell. And we now have video of when his ex mother in law uh, was taken into custody as she tried to leave the country. I don't know if any of you have seen that video, but I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Last week, uh, the name Kanika Jenkins came up. I may get to that. Uh, just because it, it was, uh, it, like I said, it came up last week. And that, of course, that's uh, the death of her back in 2017. Um, we'll see if I get to that. Uh, there is now a book out regarding a possible serial killer in the city of Columbus, Ohio. And since we've covered some disappearances there, I want to have an opportunity to talk about that. And... I need to also discuss this story that came out today about these three Kansas City Chiefs fans who died in their friend's backyard. So uh, we've got a lot to cover. And in addition to all of that, uh, there are several items regarding uh, the podcast work we are doing doing here that uh, I really want to cover because I know all of you want to hear about all of it. And so uh, before I get uh, too deep into this, please give this video a thumbs up. Please uh, like this video. 
please consider uh, subscribing, hitting the bell button so when I upload videos and uh, do this live show or map analysis like I did for this past Friday's episode, you will know about it right away. Please, and if you'll go one step further, maybe if you're looking at the screen right now, why don't you consider uh, becoming a supporter of Unfound at patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast, or if you are um, watching on YouTube tonight, please consider hitting that join button. I would deeply appreciate it. Please support what we do here. Obviously, if you're making time on a Monday night for this live show, everything that Unfound does is important to you. If you're listening to this podcast, I uh, have to take for granted that uh, what we do here is important to you. Please uh, show your support in any way that you can. Let's see who is in the chat. And then I will just get into a few things uh, that that have gone on since we all got together last Monday. Hello, everything. Hello, Hello, nephew Charles. And Karen, um, what's going on? Um, Jasmine, Sheree, how are you feeling? Uh, Of course, I asked you this earlier today, Sheree, how are you feeling tonight? Um, Sheree has been under the weather. Uh, a little bit for the past few days, everyone. And so, Sharia, thank you uh, for moderating tonight, keeping a uh, eagle eye lookout for any trolls or anything, even though I know you're not feeling too hot. Hello, Lisa. Kathy says, happy Monday. Lots of thunder and lightning just moved through. Power knocked out temporarily, but it appears the storm is moving on. Okay, Kathy, good to see you. Hello, Jill. Hazel. Suzanne, uh, yeah, Donald Addison, we're going to, yeah, I'm going to get into that. Yes, I am. Spleen, wow, Spleen, what's going on? Good to see you. Good to see you, Spleen. So since last Monday, I went and saw the rock group, rock group Tesla over at the Hard Rock Hotel in their event center. On Wednesday night, went with my brother Brian. We had a great time. A little busy getting over there, trying to get through uh, Tampa traffic to get over there. And then when we did get over, if you can even imagine this. Now, the uh, Hard Rock Hotel Casino for Tampa is not in downtown Tampa. It's like, it's on the other side of the city from where I live. And it's right along I-4. But it's not in downtown Tampa. It's not like if you have a hotel in downtown Tampa, you're going to walk over to Hard Rock. You can't do that. It's out there by uh, the fairgrounds where I've seen many concerts at the fairgrounds, which is outside there as well. So this was a Wednesday evening, and that place was packed. Now, my brother goes over there once in a while. Uh, He likes to play cards. His wife, Laureen, uh, plays the slots. It'll go, I don't know, how maybe a couple times a year, three times, four times a year, or something like that. Like I said, for everybody who lives on the west side of Tampa, it's not that convenient to, convenient to get over there. Plus, there are some casinos here, although they're a little shabby. Uh, they're certainly not the Hard Rock. We have a couple casinos here. If you want to go play cards or something, you can do that. But they go over there once in a while, and so my brother Brian is much more familiar with what goes on inside there than I am. And he was he was even stunned 
by on a Wednesday night in January, how packed it was. As I told him, man, this reminds me, if you didn't know better, you would have thought that you were in some casino in Las Vegas on a Saturday night. That's how, that's how crazy it was. Um, now there is a, there was the RV show that was going on at the fairgrounds there. And it was quite busy in that area. In fact, the exit that I was going to get off, I decided not to get off there because it was so busy. So I went to the next one, kind of made a big U-turn. So there were some things going on there, but still the parking lot was packed. We went in there. I mean, it was just, just amazing. Like I said, for a Wednesday night in January, I I was really stunned. He and I, when we came out of the concert, went to the concert, it was fantastic. I had not seen Tesla since 1989. Uh, I, I, that's, uh, I saw them in like October of 89. So it was 24 years and like three months since I had seen them last time. I saw them with Badlands and Great White at the Syria Mosque in Pittsburgh. The Syria Mosque isn't there anymore. Um, and they were fantastic. Really good seeing them, uh, again. And we had, we had seats right against the, we couldn't, you couldn't get any farther back from the stage than we were. But still, the venue isn't that big, so we had great we had a great view and everything, and um, just great. wasn't too too loud. I mean, I don't mind it loud, but it was a great venue. Really enjoyed it. Seemed like the crowd enjoyed it, and uh, I think if I have the opportunity to see them again, I will see them again. Tesla, and they have three of the original members. The one guitar player had a falling out. Uh, for some reason, some years ago. And then their original drummer, I think just thought, you know, they aren't youngsters anymore. Uh, he stopped touring with them just within the last couple years. But three of the, the three really, the guys who got it started in like 83 or something like that, they're still together. And uh, it was really, really good. So I'm glad I went. Uh, money well spent. So there was that concert that I went to on Wednesday night. But then on the other hand, uh, yesterday, I was supposed to go see another 80s band, uh, 80s into the 90s band called Mr. Big. And if you're like, well, I don't, I'm not sure who that is. That's the group that did, I'm the one who wants to be with you. That group. That's the song they're best known for. Um. That's the one they're best known for. And, but they have a lot. They're, you know, they do rock harder than that. And I was supposed to go with my buddy Kevin to go see them right over here at the Capitol Theater where I saw Glenn Hughes and Ingve Malmstein a few months ago. Here it got canceled because they got sick, which isn't surprising given, you know, it seems like I'm uh, just some people that I've been talking to about being on Unfound in the near future. Of course, Cherie has gotten something. My dad, although he's sounding a lot better today, uh, he had something. He has something for a while. Of course, as you all know, I got sick right around Christmas. Well, it must have struck at least one of the the guys in Mr. Big. So the concert got canceled. So here I was. I moved the think tank, the unfound think tank, to, think tank till tomorrow night. 
And then at about four o'clock yesterday, I get an automated message on my phone from the venue saying the concert's been canceled. So uh, we, but still, I just, I wasn't going to try to put the think tank together. I already told everybody we're going to move it till tomorrow night. So that's, I just decided to stick to that. Uh, But the tickets will still be good. And uh, my understanding is that if, when they said they're going to try to reschedule it, and so the tickets will still be good um, when they decide to come back. So that's fine. The tickets really weren't that expensive anyway. It's not like I'm out. Uh, you know, they're sitting on my money for all this time. It, the, the tickets at that venue are really not that expensive anyway. So it really doesn't bother me. It's just easier for me. It's, it's like, well, I have the ticket. When they come back, I'll have it. Instead of getting the money back and then remembering that I want to see them. And who knows, the next time it might not be convenient. So I did not get to go to that concert. Um, but I was really, I'm look, still looking forward to seeing them whenever that's going to be. But on that note, one more music thing, and then I'm just going to jump right into uh, all the uh, items for tonight's live show is that I'm going to see, I'm actually going to see Glenn Hughes again. He was just here, when, I don't know, what was it, back in November uh, when my brother and I, I, of course, talked about it. When my brother and I went to see him, was it October, November? Like I said, the months, I don't, I just don't know. I, I I feel like I'm going to be like 90 years old tomorrow. That's how fast time's going. And I just went and saw Glenn Hughes with Ingve Malmsteen at the Capitol Theater. Was it in October, November? He's coming back to Clearwater again, but at a different venue uh, that's over like near my brother's. I was like, Psh, the tickets are very reasonable. I'm going again. So that won't be until late February, but uh, this time, given it's a different venue and everything, I think I'm going to have better seats. In fact, I think I'm going to be pretty close to the stage. <clears throat> so I'm excited about that. And if you don't know who Glenn Hughes is, um, most famously, he was in Deep Purple when Ian Gillen and um, and the bassist left. Was it Roger Glover? Left. So he and David Coverdale, of course, from Whitesnake, came in and took their places and they did some albums with Richie Blackmore and the rest of them. And then Richie Blackmore yet left. And then it was deep purple kind of split up and then they got back together in the eighties, but Glenn wasn't part of that. However, Glenn Hughes was included in the rock of whole. He is now in the rock and roll hall of fame as is David Coverdale with all of those other guys, because deep purple did get into the rock and roll hall of fame some years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm watching a Hall of Famer there, and if you've ever seen him, you can easily understand why. I mean, he's a crazy, crazy good singer. He's like 72 years old, and his voice is crazy good. He doesn't look like he's 70-something up there. Great bass player, great music, and big fan of his. Uh, seems like a great guy. So I'm going to be uh, seeing him again in late February, so I'm a little excited about that. So... um. Let me see what everybody is uh, saying here. Hello, Emily. Uh, good to see you. Yeah. Are, you, um, are they only getting better? Uh, Spleen Grass. Uh, you're asking about Tesla? They were pretty good. Now, uh, admittedly with Tesla, and they even admitted themselves, Jeff Keith's voice. I mean, he was in key and everything. 
but he doesn't quite have the range that he used to. So I think they've tuned down. Uh, if you know, if you're a musician, they've tuned down some of the songs, like a step down or something like that. But uh, still, he sounded great. Uh, he was in key and hitting all the notes. It's just the all of, you know, he's not going up as high on the scale as he used to. Uh, hello, Macy. What's going on? Um, Scott Peterson case taking on Sia Innocence Project. That's crazy. Ashley, thank you for becoming a member of the YouTube channel. Thank you so much. That re- really means a lot uh, to me. I really uh, appreciate it as a new member. And you're going to notice you'll get some uh, stuff that other people don't. You'll get some things early uh, before other people get it right here on this YouTube channel. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Sarah, hello to you, Hazel. Kazel, uh, Kathy complaining about uh, Scott Peterson. Sarah remembers, uh, I guess, Mr. Big. Yeah, I'm sure Shri talking about the Innocence Project. All that. Uh, Facebook, did you get tickets for Iron Maiden this fall? Um, There are no dates yet for the Tampa area yet. Uh, I'm pretty sure they will not be coming back to my area of Florida until 2025. Don't worry, I've had my eyes peeled. In fact, I even posted something on Iron Maiden's Facebook page a couple days ago about it, and it actually got the thumbs up from Steve Harris, Bruce Dickinson, and Yannick Gears. Now, whether it's actually them doing it, I don't know. But their accounts actually gave my post a thumbs up regarding Florida dates. So um, I'm sure sure they're coming here, but it's not going to be till 2025. <clears throat> which is a, which is a, a, about right. It's every few years that they stop here in Florida. Uh, Hazel, I don't know any of the musicians whom you speak. Well, Hazel, uh, maybe you can look them up. Um, Emily says, thank you for joining the ready to hear your thoughts on Columbus. I'm going to do that, Emily. Thank you. Uh, I am going to thank you for making time on this Monday night for the first time. Okay, so let's get right into this. Um, where do I want to go first? I want to, uh, look back on the, uh, Dr. Telesco show a little bit. Hopefully all of you tuned in for that. She and I discussed the Snea Phillip disappearance that happened somewhere around September 11th. Uh, of course, now officially on the record, Snea Phillip is considered to have died due to the World Trade Center uh, attacks. She was down there, ground zero, the, the buildings fell or something. She got killed, so she is now included. If you were to go down there uh, sometime and go to the memorial, uh, you can find a free, I don't have it listed here, but she is on one of the panels that they have down at, uh, in the World Trade Center where all the names are there. So she's um, recognized there. We did that show because me being the disappearance guy and Dr. Telesco being uh, a person who observed 9-11 firsthand was there. She's talked about it. I interviewed her about it in 2022. I thought it would be interesting to uh, talk about that. And something um, that I kind of missed, and in fact, I even after... 
we were done immediately as the show was done. These just how things go sometimes. I had forgotten something that I wanted to uh, say, and that had to do with Snia and that night before. So September 10th, going into the morning, the early morning hours, so 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. of September 11th before these, the, the planes were flown into the buildings. I forgot to mention that it's interesting to me that nobody has ever come forward claiming to have been with Snia the preceding night or early that morning. It seems, according to her husband, that it was quite common for her to meet up with people, usually women, go hang out with them all night and everything. And like I said, on one hand, I'm not here to judge people. Sounds like an odd arrangement to me. And it also seemed to me, though, that her husband, I don't know if he was just saying that for the media, but he's saying, well, they didn't have relationships. She was telling me it was all platonic and everything. Well, how would you know that? Not that I care. But but it's interesting to me, despite all these claims, that when she would go out, meet people, go home with them, and go to these different bars and everything, we're now, um, what is it, over 22 years since that happened. Man, that's another thing. It feels like yesterday. Um, and nobody's ever come forward. And be even though surely most people in New York, all people in New York, of course, know about 9-11, and surely a lot of them know about her story. I mean, it's been covered a lot of different times in a lot of different ways. Not to mention the people who knew her at these bars. It's, it's um, you know, they had to have known her name or something that they never reached out to her, um, to, from her, you know, to her family, to her husband. And they're easy to reach. They're out there. Never to say, you know what? I did spend uh, the, the time with Snia that night before into the morning, just hanging out. We were at a couple bars and then she left. You know, that would fill in some of that timeline. But being that nobody has ever come forward really does put this in the light of did she really actually really, really truly disappear on September 10th? All right, so this is something that, like I said, we missed it. Uh, I missed it. Dr. Telesco didn't miss it. I missed it. It was my topic. I'm the one that chose to bring it up. Um, I was the one that missed it. So it's that's something else to consider in all of this. It's certainly reasonable to believe that she was out with people that night into the early morning, and really she was coming home, and it was her on that video a woman that went to the elevator and then kind of turned around and went the direction not long before the first plane hit. The problem is nobody's ever come forward. Not even it doesn't even seem anonymously. Maybe somebody who doesn't really want their name out there that never happened. And then, of course, still what is missing um, is you know what she bought and where did all all that stuff go? And I I don't know. And that's the other point I want to make about that is that. Maybe Dr. Telesco uh, didn't get what I was saying or I wasn't just explaining it very well. That here, the day before on September 10th, which I think could lead us lead more toward the idea that she didn't get killed in the in the towers. Here she got arraigned or whatever it was on September 10th. And 
instead of, you know, going home and having a long think about her career and where her life is headed and just maybe um, chilling out and doing self-introspection about her choices and everything else, what's she doing? (laughs) She's going out shopping for shoes and stuff. To me, and I'm not trying to be too much of a fuddy-duddy or a, a nerd or anything like that or a goody-two-shoes or whatever else, but that doesn't seem to me to be somebody who is very serious about what happened. It doesn't seem to me to be uh, – it seems to me – to be a very odd choice given that you could be going to jail and you could lose your medical license or lose, you know, get kicked out of another hospital, use your, lose your medical license and everything else. And she's just going out and shopping and buying shoes and stuff. You know, she's not going home. You know, she's not, uh, let's just say, you know, trying to maybe, uh, track down a counselor if she has an alcohol problem or something like that. No, she's going shopping, spending the credit card, buying shoes and whatever else she bought that day. Not things that were needed. Now, if she's going grocery shopping, that's different. <clears throat> Instead, she's buying all this stuff. Of course, we don't know where it went. That doesn't seem to me to be a person who is very conscientious and a person who is taking this problem very seriously. And I, because of that, that's one more thing that leads me to believe that her disappearance had nothing to do with 9-11. I think if she was, we, we have to pick something. Um, she's, you know, she's allegedly serious about her medical career and everything. But it doesn't seem like she was changing her behavior, drinking or anything. And she's going shopping on the very day that, you know, this is all getting worked out. And she may go to jail, lose her medical license or everything else. That doesn't seem like the type of person who then would go down to ground zero and be in that area and doing whatever. And the building collapsed. That just doesn't. Those two things don't seem to go together. So. Then on top of everything else, as we talked about, no other doctors died at ground zero. No other doctors who lived nearby seemingly went down there and got killed when the buildings fell. And regarding that apartment complex where she lived, uh, Dr. Telesco was kind of just guessing where she lived. There's no, there's no news out there that anybody who lived in that complex went down to ground zero and got caught up in all of that either. And as I stated, you can find a list of medical professionals, uh, nurses, and some doctors who died on September 11th. But the reason they died on that day is they were actually in the buildings because they were there for various reasons. Not because they went down there after the planes already hit. They were already in the buildings when the planes hit. So, and there's no proof that She went down there that morning. 
uh, to walk around, and there's no proof regarding her credit cards being that she was such a fan of them that she's bought anything at the World Trade Center. She didn't buy coffee that morning at like 8 a.m. at some coffee uh, cafe near Ground Zero or near the World Trade Center. nothing. This is why I doubt she died there. Now, what happened to her? Where else could she have gone? What could she have done? Could have been foul play. Could have been. Uh, she was taking a lot of chances, meeting strangers and, and doing things. We never know it can happen there. Or she just found this as a way to get out and her career wasn't going the right way. She has an, an alcohol addiction and everything. We talk about those things quite often on Unfound. A lot of times we come to the conclusion we think that these people just caused their own disappearances. So I don't know how we could think of Snea Phillips disappearance in, in any other way just because it was 9-11 and just because she was a doctor and just because just because just because we've we've covered this kind of situation before so those are a couple things that i think uh that got missed in the discussion from last thursday that i wanted to get on the record uh make sure i got to them uh and didn't get to the end of the show tonight and not have time to cover them um, let's see. Uh, Frank says they are coming this fall, but I would think you're talking about Iron Maiden, Frank. I know they're going to be in the United States for sure. They are coming. They're going to be touring in the United States, Frank, but not in Florida. Uh, no dates for Florida yet. And just the way you can look at the schedule, this is, this is going to be something that I think it's going to be into 2025. Fine. Fine. They'll be here. I'll be here. That's fine. Um, Hazel says, I love the Dr. T show with you last week. Very interesting format. Thank you. Uh, that is strange. Huh? In the circumstances, you would think if she were th- socializing with someone, they would have spoken up. My point exactly, Hazel. Thank you. Hello, Fairy. What's going on? Good to see you. Karen says, I'm suspicious, suspicious of Snea's brother, more so than her husband. I think she was killed the night before. Uh, Karen, that very well be. I mean, I mean, are you going to go as far as to think that her brother had something to do with it? Um, just a, just a theory, just an opinion. If you want to write that there, that's fine by me. It's not defamatory or anything. If that is your opinion on it, totally fine. If you haven't, can you put the link to your video with Dr. Telesco? Uh, Shri, can you do that, uh, when you get a chance for everybody, including fairy magic? Makes you think that someone did something to her in those earlier hours, nothing to do with 9-11, but then immense, immense tragic event was camouflage. Sure. Kathy says, Karen, I agree. I don't think Snea went to help anyone. I think she walked off and died elsewhere. Okay. Uh, there you go. There you go. Uh, hello, Lori. Glad you caught me live. I'm glad you caught me live. Uh, talking about Scott Peterson a little bit. Uh, hello, Charlotte. Good to see you, Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte and I had a couple back and forth on Messenger over the last few days. CR, I am well. CR, I'm feeling good, feeling fine. It's Monday night. And, uh, yeah, I'm feeling good. I still have a little bit of a hacky cough. Maybe allergies or something. I'm really not sure. So now, now that I got that out of the way, I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss that because it kind of, we, we kind of got to 95% of what I wanted to talk about on Thursday night. And then uh, we missed uh, those important, a couple important points there. So there you go. 
So let's now, though, uh, go back to where I usually start, and that is with – I have a couple polls to uh, talk about. Um, the first one being the disappearance of Larry Goodman. You'll remember we didn't, I didn't talk about that last week because uh, I didn't put the poll up until like the day of the live show Monday came out or, or something. So I didn't have enough uh, answers to really get a good idea of what everybody was thinking. So I'm going to go over that right now. If I can scroll down here to the poll, hold on just a little bit. Maybe I should tell you this first is that for the think tank, there we go. There we go, Larry Goodman. For the think tank, we had the idea that, that you know it wasn't murder or anything else. We really leaned into the idea that um, not saying anybody really believed that he was going to Miami for the Super Bowl, but mainly along the lines of a suicide. Like that, something like that. Now, why? Had a lot of things going on. But in the poll for Larry Goodman, once again, this is not this past Friday with Irma McCurchion's. Uh, I'm going to get to that in a moment. But in the discussion group, um, 63% of the people answered that he left to start a new life. And, of course, of all the choices, that's probably the best outcome. I mean, he chose to start a good life. Uh, started a new life somewhere out for whatever reason. So 63% uh, decided that he started a new life. Now, I will tell you that is also what I wrote in the Unfound blog that you can read or listen to at patreon.com forward slash Unfound podcast. Now, that doesn't mean that he's alive here in 2024. It doesn't mean that he didn't commit suicide eventually. It doesn't mean that he couldn't have uh, met with foul play eventually, but I think in him taking off, his plan was to go somewhere and start a new life because he had already proven that he could do it for three weeks. That's what I decided. Think Tank thought somewhat differently, but it seems I myself agree with the discussion group this week, and uh, that is maybe at least a little of a surprise. I don't know how often it happens that I agree more with the discussion group than I do with the people in the think tank. I really don't keep stats on that. All right, moving on <coughs> to uh, the episode this past Friday, Irma McCurchion's. And yes, that's as close as I could come to pronouncing it correctly. We have not yet done, like I said at the beginning tonight, uh, we've not yet done the Think Tank. Uh, if you want to be a member of the Think Tank, by the way, you have to sign up at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Just read the directions there if you could. But uh, I've already completed the blog. And uh, the, the question, though, that I asked in the discussion group was, this is on Facebook if you're not a member of the, of the discussion group. What is, most what is most likely to solve Irma's disappearance? <clears throat> and it is a tie right now. It's a tie between luck. So somebody is, I guess, just going to come across Irma's remains if she is deceased. 
uh, somewhere. Or maybe we can look at it this. Maybe she's out there living a new life and somebody figures out that she's living under a new identity or something. So that also could be considered luck. 44% considered luck. Considered luck was going to thought the best choice was luck. The other 44% uh, said, Irma's family working with the public and independent investigators. What is most likely to solve Irma's disappearance? 44% luck and 44% said Irma's family. So uh, it, uh, seven, uh, 11% said a totally new police investigation and only 1% a person or people openly confessing. I guess there's at least one person out there who's open that whatever happened to her, whoever knows, will just come forward and be able to offer proof as to what happened to her. Now, for me, um, <coughs> there's that cough. Now, for me, giving uh, unfound statistics, and I am going to talk about those statistics in a bit, uh, I probably, unfortunately, have to lean toward the luck angle. That it's just going to, at this point, given what we know, you know, this is a lot different than many of the other disappearances where you kind of have an idea probably where the missing person is. If we're we're thinking that it's foul play and maybe they just don't have access to that uh, piece of property or it's been searched, but it hasn't been searched well enough. You've heard me talk about these topics over and over. Uh, but the tough thing with Irma, if it's foul play, where do you even look? Of course, the police were in the house. Of course, we know they they messed it up with Zoe Campus's, but they were in the house. Was there kind of, given that they were hiding money in there? Was there like some secret compartment or a secret basement or something that Irma's remains could be in? That sounds uh, a little outlandish to me. So if you think that her husband had something to do with it, that is, I'm not saying you have to. So other than that, there really, it doesn't seem to be any logical place to look. You can go out and look, you can go out to the desert of Las Vegas, you can go up to Mount Charleston, go out Lake Mead or whatever else. You can do those things, but it's a little bit of just hoping. There's no real plan behind that. So I think that's why I also lean toward the idea of luck that's going but that doesn't mean you shouldn't work at it. I'm certainly going to help uh, David with uh, some things. Uh, in fact, I talked to him this weekend through email and I um, did a couple things for him. But as the statistics go, and I'll just get right into that right now. As I stated in the episode, uh, just to maybe if anybody forgot or maybe haven't even listened to that episode yet, this was something, this was a statistic that came up as I was putting the episode together, just kind of popped into my mind. You know, maybe I should look that up. (laughs) You know, that is an interesting stat. What does it say? And as you heard me uh, say, Unfound now has 30 disappearances that have been resolved to a certain point or another. And 18 of them, so that is 60%, 
have been resolved by someone who is not the police. 60%. Now, this would be a combination of, uh, really, it's a combination, you know, just a bunch of, you know, people coming across remains like Esther Westenbarger. Somebody clears out the water where she and her car are. Those kids are in that boat. They look down there. Oh, my gosh. There's Esther in her car. Or we can Robbie Hurt, people working on, you know, working on a road near where his truck was. Crystal Morrison, kind of the same thing. Noah Davis, kind of the same thing. Uh, very, very recently, Donald Irwin, somebody with, you know, takes an interest in disappearances, has a drone, goes over this one particular pond, sees something in there. That's all non-police rated or related. Non-police related. Uh, and I really, I, like I said, there's like 18 and I didn't put the list here, but then we only, uh, not only, but it 12, the other 40% are by police. So then in that category would be Zoe Campos. That category would be Andrea Bowman. That category would be unique Harris. That category would be Kamisha Hollis and, and all these other ones. But interestingly of those 12 that are resolved primarily by the police out of that 12 only in six of those have remains been found so that we though we have andrea bowman who was found deceased or zoe campus and some of these others we also have tiffany johnson although her ex is now in jail for her disappearance she's still missing same way with unique harris isaac moy's in jail she is still missing kamisha hollis her, what was it, her husband or boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, whoever he was. Um, he's in jail. She's still missing. So even if police charge somebody and are involved in the actual resolution somewhat of a disappearance, that doesn't mean that our remains are going to be found. And if there is ever a stat that I can now start telling uh, guests when I talk to them behind the scenes, it's going to be that one. This is why you should not rely on the police too much. Because in my statistics, only 40% of these disappearances are going to get resolved by police. And of those, it's only a 50% chance that they're actually going to find your loved one in doing so. It's I, I love it when you're putting together an episode and you come up with a statistic or something you want to look up. And that stat goes right along with what... You're, uh, you know, when I'm already thinking, I love when that happens. It's probably something that I just intuitively knew because I do remember these disappearances so well. Just some kind of something that I knew inherently, but then I actually went and looked because I have the database with all of them. I was like, yep, it doesn't, it, I guess it's surprising, but not necessarily surprising. I'm guessing it was probably. Uh, a surprise to a lot of you. So now let me go through and see what everybody is saying here. Uh, Charlotte, is everybody saying hi to Charlotte? Charlotte? Maybe Snea was just terribly distraught about her marriage and she could have led to multiple scenarios. Could have. Could have gone home with the wrong guy. Could have gone home with the wrong woman, Charlotte. Uh, it just, I don't care about her lifestyle. If her husband was fine with what she was doing, who am I to say otherwise? But it's never good when people are going out and going home with strangers. Men or women, with anybody. You know, 
So, and uh, if we're to believe that some of these places, as it was described as being rough, you know, Marty's here. Hey, everyone, battling a pretty wicked case of COVID. So everybody's sick. Even you're sick, Marty. Hello, Marty. Good to see you. Sorry to hear that you are sick. It is going around. Um, Karen said, I thought some of what her brother said was pretty dodgy and didn't make sense going back to Snea. I really have no idea what happened, but if it was foul play, he stands out because he lied. He admits he lied. That's, that is uh, 100% true. I really enjoyed the conversation with Irma's brother. Very interesting. I know um, it was a unique type of uh, episode, but I've been wanting to do that for a while. Devit uh, is pretty much, um, was pretty much stereotypical of, uh, you know, right there kind of in the, 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 the thickness of the bell curve when it comes to frustration with the police and everything, very vocal about it. Had nothing to do with him being a guy, had nothing to do with his accent or anything like that. Um, maybe it had something to do with the fact that, you know, I have familiarity with Las Vegas and everything. And we've covered so many disappearances there that we've had a chance to, to mention Las Vegas, Las Vegas Metro Police Department so often. It just kind of came together. And uh, I just thought you'd want to hear that. I talk so much about these behind the scenes conversations. And that is uh, kind of what a behind the scenes conversation sounds like. Like I said, I had to, I edited about 25% out of the total talk just because, like I said, for a lot of different reasons. But you got a really, really good taste of it. And I know it was kind of unique and uh, we kind of follow the same format every week. And, uh, but like, you know me, I, I always, you know, with the update episodes and uh, revisitation episodes once in a while and maybe throw something in there uh, that's, uh, that's different than the usual episodes. And so I thought it was time for that. And I thought, think that gives you a better understanding of the frustrations. You can hear, you know, very raw emotions from David. And you can also, um, you know, get a better understanding of disappearance as a whole. That's what we're doing here. Uh, Hazel says, I think luck as in her body accidentally found one day. Yeah. Okay. Regarding Irma. Charlotte says, uh, regarding, uh, I guess maybe Irma, I think she really got murdered. Uh, there you go. Uh, thank you for posting that. Sheree. Appreciate that. Uh, Hazel likes the ex-husband. Hazel says, no surprise. There's 60% of disappearances resolved, not by the police. Charlotte, Ed, do you think you might do the Daniel Robinson disappearance in Arizona? I I may, Charlotte. Um, uh, certainly his father is very easy to reach. I've read a lot about it. But, you know, he's done so much media. And I, of course, hope that Daniel is found alive tomorrow. But, you know, it just it's one of those things that just gives me the feeling that I just need to give it a little more time. Um, given that he's done so much media and everything else, just kind of let things happen and, you know, see if there's any new uh, new information and everything else. Because once again, uh, Daniel Robinson has gotten a lot of coverage. I, I give his father and the rest of the family all the credit in the world for all, everything they've been doing as far as media goes. So I'm just going to wait it out and, um, you know, cover a lot of disappearances that haven't gotten as much 
uh, coverage uh, nationally. You know, Irma's has gotten coverage locally in Las Vegas, but nationally it hasn't. So, you know, as I'm eager to do that, uh, this coming Friday's disappearance, same thing. Um, a disappearance from 2015 that really not a lot of people are talking about. So, um, devoting my time to that, but if very sadly, uh, Daniel is not found a year from now or a couple years from now, probably, probably won't do that. Uh, Lisa says I'm sick again too. Got the flu. Wow. Like I said, I don't know what this thing is. Uh, okay. Thank you for, I, I like when people say I'm making great points, fairy. Uh, Lisa says, I love the behind the scenes style Friday's episode. Okay. Thanks. That's such a puzzling case. Yeah, I, I think what I know about Daniel Robinson, Charlotte, it seems like it has all the signs that, that Daniel just walked, you know, like Jason Landry and so many others that we've covered. Car wreck or some car issue and somebody walks off into the desert. I know that's not – doesn't seem that's what his father thinks because they've searched all over the area and everything, but we've learned that doesn't mean much. So – but uh, I don't know any more about the disappearance than any of you. In fact, probably given – I'm going to guess some of you surely know more about Daniel's disappearance than I do because I've really not concentrated on it that much. You maybe have more time to look at those things than I do. Um, But maybe not. You know, We're always looking for a new piece of information that could lead us in a different direction. Uh, a couple more things. Um, not this Friday, <coughs> but almost certainly next Friday, talking about off the beaten path regarding episodes. Um, the bilingual episode will be coming out not this Friday, so that would be January 26th. It will be coming out February 2nd, Groundhog Day. In fact, I needs to remind, I have to remind myself that. Uh, probably uh, maybe next Monday for the live show, I will pass along. Um, I think as I do every year, my uh, at least one story from me going to Groundhog Day in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, way back when I lived there. Cause I really didn't live that too far, too far away from that was going on a couple hours. And I went there in February 2nd, 97, February 2nd, 98, but it's in particular the first year that maybe I'll tell you the story. Some of you have already heard it, but you have a lot of new uh, viewers here. Uh, maybe I'll go through that uh, next week. But surely February 2nd episode is going to be a kind of another <clears throat> unique, different type of episode. In that the interview is done, but the guest only spoke Spanish. So I tracked down my former assistant, Natasha. Maybe uh, some of you remember her. And we're still in very good terms. And uh, she left on her own. She's doing a lot of th things going on in her life. But I tracked her down. I remembered that she also speaks Spanish very fluently. And so I put together an interview outline, and she interviewed a woman in Mexico, her mother in Mexico, whose daughter went missing in North Carolina. And then what Natasha did then is she got a friend of hers who also speaks English and Spanish, and they translated it into English 
with Natasha doing her part now in English and her friend being the guest, being this mother who has lost her daughter due to a disappearance in North Carolina. And uh, she sent me all the files, and I've just about finished putting it together. And it's quite experimental. I don't know of any other podcast that's tried to do it this way, but I've wanted to do this for a while. I um, don't want to be so limited that uh, we can only – I guess what I'm saying is I wanted to create an outlet, a possibility that if we do run into a disappearance that is compelling and um, just dis- – Unique and seems, man, it's really, wow, this is just, I don't want to be restricted because the the best guest doesn't speak English. And so it's, like I said, total experiment, something that I've had in my head. I don't speak Spanish. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what all of you think of it. I can tell you that I think that Natasha and her friend did a, a, uh, a great job with what they were given. Um, you know, the tough part in that interview is that the mother was completely distraught through the whole thing. And of course, Natasha's not used to doing interviews. She's certainly not used to doing interviews regarding disappearances. Although Natasha, very smart, very intelligent, followed my instructions to a T. Um, But little did I know that she was going to be faced with a guest who was really, really very emotional. And, um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the translated, of course, the translated English uh, version will be the one uh, that gets, get, you know, get the most attention. But I am also going to publish the Spanish version. The original in Spanish uh, that Natasha did with uh, this mother. So um, you can kind of compare and see uh, what I'm talking about. How this Spanish interview, and even if you don't speak Spanish, if you listen to it, you're going to kind of know, wow, this is a really powerful interview. And then translating it into English through all of that was really uh, quite a job. And I really appreciate Natasha and her friend um, working their way through it. So both are going to be uh, available. It'll be the English one, of course, that will get uh, the most attention. But I will post the Spanish, just the Spanish interview on YouTube, if anybody's interested in just getting an idea about the emotion, because with Natasha and her friend doing it, I didn't, you know, I didn't want her friend who played the mother to kind of, you know, fake the emotion or anything. I didn't want that. So, because it's it's fakey, it's cheesy. So I said, you just play it straight. You just do just straight English, you know, just very normal and everything, even though in the Spanish version, this mother very emotional through the whole thing. So you will get to compare and contrast with that. And of course, this is the United States disappearance. It happened in North Carolina. Uh, A woman who is a mother is missing. Her car is also missing. And uh, the story goes that uh, the story that was put out there is, oh, she just 
went back to Mexico. She surely did not do that. So, um, there you go. Um, that, uh, that's going to be not this Friday, but next Friday. Um, it's such a puzzling, uh, as us, as someone who's the police, a lot of these types of cases aren't used to work. If they were, they would be no need for this podcast. We have to deal with all the red tape and people's rights. So I get it. I get that, Ashley. Um, I'm not, I would never. In fact, uh, as you even heard me, if you listen to the past, uh, podcast on Friday, you know, I was clear at the vid, you know, you can't go and do things going onto people's property and stuff. Even if you find anything, it's not going to be admissible in court. And then where are you? You're nowhere. It's like you never discovered it at all. But what I also think on the other hand is that um, it's gotten past the point when you get to 300 some disappearances that, uh, you know, if you follow like politics or anything, they pull a hundred people and they, you know, random 100 people and you can tell who probably who the next president of the United States is, even though we have a country of 330 million people. If you randomly sample 100 voters, you can still you get a pretty good idea who's going to win. Well, we have 320 disappearances now, and I continue to hear the same stories. And these are people who don't know each other, who live in different parts of the United States. Um, who have different types of different what we might different kinds or types, different circumstances of their disappearances, and they all say the same thing, and none of them know that they're saying it. It's not like they're parroting or copying something uh, what somebody else is saying. They're all saying uh, these things by themselves, so they're all having similar uh, experiences with police. And these experiences don't sound to be, don't really sound too good. Uh, And even just off the top of my head, how do police miss a a concrete slab in Carlos Rodriguez's backyard where he put Zoe? How do they miss that? They went in there with dogs and everything else right after Zoe went. I mean, that was the best lead they had. He must have, he must have killed her. They go to his house they go all over the yard they don't notice that there's a fresh piece of concrete right there and they just ignore it um going like with uh Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman we find out that the police in that particular disappearance uh ignored what was it, an insurance card of the car the, there was an insurance card that was in the driveway of the Freeman trailer that got burned down and the police completely blew it off. And it wasn't until years later that a cold case detective, what year was that, 2015 or something, came in like 16 years later and discovered, oh, this is the insurance card of the car of a woman who whose boyfriend just happened to have a beef with the Freemans. Police never did anything with that. It just got ignored. You know... Um, so the common people who get involved in these cases and can skirt around all that, the answers are awesome. I'm very appreciative people like y'all. So, uh, like I said, I'm not anti-police. I'm not, but I'm not pro-police necessarily either. I'm very realistic. I'm as cynical and realistic as a person as you'll ever meet, uh, probably much to my, to my own detriment. 
Um, but, you know, and I know this is usually this kind of saying is usually said in a very negative manner and it's a, it's kind of a put down and everything else. But the, the saying that's kind of pop, popped up over the last year, a few years, do better is, is something that that uh, comes to mind. Like I said, I still believe that the main issue is that police get no training when it comes to disappearances. I think too often they think, ah, we'll just throw it off to the homicide department. They'll figure it out. The only problem is, is that not only is this podcast shown it, but The Vanished has shown it. John Lorden has shown it. Uh, a lot of different podcasts who even just partially cover disappearances have shown that disappearances aren't homicide investigations. They could be homicide investigations. Surely we believe like 60% of them are murders. But how can investigators who are used to dealing with forensics and bodies and blood splatter and DNA and everything else really wrap their heads head around an investigation where none of that exists? That's their experience, whether it's five years, 10 years, 15 years. And then they're asked to look at a case where not, they have none of that. Can be tough. You know, we... um. We wouldn't expect other people in other walks of life to do that. You know, people who build bridges, you know, on the other hand, then aren't does asked to design space shuttles, even though it's all engineering. So this is kind of what is my mind. I get what you're saying. Appreciate your work. Um, but in a nutshell, that's that's my thinking on the whole thing. I think that. Need some education. They need to know that to ask the right questions. They need to know what they to look for. They need to be able to. They need to be able to um, decipher things. They need to be much more intuitive than is usually needed for your, you know, your murder investigations and things. You need a lot more. Um, uh, you need a rolodex of other disappearances to compare to this one because this particular disappearance in general isn't going to tell you much. The one you're working on isn't going to tell you much. Instead, you have to know all these disappearances that you can access in your head, mainly ones that have been solved, to point you in directions. I can I continue to say that. All right, moving on. One more thing, and then I'm going to get into all of these uh, stories that I mentioned earlier. Um, we're doing a team episode, and I really haven't figured out yet if I'm going to release uh, these interviews that I've done one by one or all together or something. But last one was it Sunday, I interviewed my assistant, Carrie. And then on Monday, I uh, interviewed my assistant, Emily. And I was supposed to interview Cherie a few days ago, but uh, Cherie, like I said, Cherie is sick and she wants to be 100% uh, for it, which I totally understand. So maybe Cherie, we can get it done later this week or maybe this coming weekend when you're feeling better. Totally fine. And then I'm going to be interviewing my assistant, Eric, uh, tomorrow evening, actually before the think tank. And at the last time we did one of those was four years ago, and it was like, I think, all one episode. I'm not sure I'm going to do that this time. I may just release these interviews like one uh, by one and kind of set them up with, with a little, just a little bit of commentary by me. 
and they may come out as like a, an addition to like an episode, like an, a, an add-on, like a regular Friday episode comes out and one of these interviews kinds of attached or something. Or I might interview or I might release these like uh, like on a Monday, maybe starting next Monday and like four weeks in a row, Monday, Monday, Monday or something. Because I talk about these people so much, uh, Carrie, Emily, Sheree, and Eric, and it's been a while. It's been four years, uh, kind of updated things. Uh, things have changed in some of their lives, and uh, they deserve to be heard too because they um, they help you a lot. Uh, they give me a lot of support, um, and uh, their insight on everything uh, regarding the podcast and elsewhere is very important to me. There are people who I've, uh, even though I've only met, uh, of the four, I've only met Eric in person. Uh, I, I trust them, you know, and I think that you getting to know them, I think then even further reinforces, uh, you know, to for so you, you know, completely understand that everybody who, uh, is involved in everything that Unfound does high quality people. High quality. So um, I'll get Shree uh, maybe this weekend and Eric tomorrow, and you'll get to hear a little bit about them. They're going to talk about their backgrounds and how they found out about Unfound. And uh, I have um, I have a uh, two questions, although uh, Emily and Carrie have already answered them. But I'm asking um, – each of them, two very important questions at the end of each interview. And uh, just to kind of compare and contrast. And so, uh, Eric, uh, I don't know if Eric's watching tonight, but Cherie, you're hearing this. Um, I'm going to ask you two questions at the end. Half to, has to do with uh, some, some of Unfound's cases. So we'll get to hear your response to them. So uh, that should be fun. Um, yeah, Shri, uh, is the okay? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Shri. Look at you with the little uh, the love, uh, the smileys with the hearts. Okay, all right. Let's move on to all of this news that I want to cover before eleven o'clock. First thing is this internet profit. I'm just going to read this story's t- story to you. This story is now a couple weeks old, by the way. Six individuals, including two young children, have mysteriously vanished from the St. Louis area of Missouri. This is like a uh, Carrie's from Missouri, assistant Carrie's from Missouri. This group is reported to follow the teachings of an online spirituality influencer, Rashad Jamal White, who is the founder of the controversial University of Cosmic Intelligence. Despite being incarcerated, Rashad continues to disseminate his beliefs on platforms such as TikTok and Instagram captivating tens of thousands of followers across the globe. Funny how that works. (coughs) How do they get access? The missing, who are they? The missing individuals include Michaela Thompson, Naman Williams, Jerry L. German, two-year-old Ashton Williams, Michaela Wickerson, and three-year-old Malaya Wickerson. They were last seen at a Quality Inn in Florissant, Missouri, the Berkeley Police Department has launched an extensive uh, search operation to trace their whereabouts since they disappeared on August 13th of 2023. So that's like six months ago now. (coughs) 
<clears throat> the famous influencer, uh, Rashad Jamal White, I, I have to admit, I've never heard of him until this story popped up. Rashad Jamal White, the figurehead they were following, has a checkered past. He has been convicted of child molestation, cruelty to children, leading to an 18-year prison sentence in Georgia, yet his influence appears to loom large even behind bars with a significant digital footprint spanning multiple social media platforms. So I'm guessing somebody is doing his bidding for him. But, I mean, if this guy has access to Instagram and everything in jail, then what the heck is going on? So that is the story uh, that I wanted to get to. I mean, six people, I mean... Don't know what to think of this idea. Would they be murdered? Did they go off on some um, trip? Uh, Are they living off the land somewhere? Really hard to say. And uh, really, there's not been a lot. Other than this article, there's really not a lot of um, details regarding where these people were, you know, they were last seen at this quality and what were they doing there? Are they all from there? Are they all related? Are they from Missouri? Are they from somewhere else? What were they doing there? What kind of car they were driving? All these things. None of that. So we have these adults. We have two very young children who are now missing and they're all followers of this Rashad Jamal White. Of course, we also have to keep in mind it very well may be that their disappearances have nothing to do with Rashad Jamal White, but it does seem that they were followers of this guy. So be on uh, the lookout for them, and there's probably pictures of them up out somewhere, um, but I do not have them here. Uh, Hazel says regarding uh, this, I'm looking forward to hearing the interviews. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure the 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 uh, uh, the assistants uh, love to hear that, uh, Hazel. Although I have to admit that they've admitted to me uh, that they've all been nervous about getting interviewed, which is funny to me. Uh, although I still get nervous a little bit when I interview people as well. All right, moving on. People cleaning the freezer. Remember last week we had this woman who was found in a freezer in San Diego. Still a big question mark about what happened there. We have this story. People cleaning the freezer of a recently sold home in western Colorado made a grisly discovery. A human head and human hands. The Mesa County Sheriff's Office first announced the discovery of possible human remains in a January 12 news release. In a Thursday update, so just this past Thursday, they said the coroner's office had conducted an autopsy and confirmed the remains were a head, human head and hands. Okay, thank you for confirming that, coroner. At this time, we have no other definitive answers until further testing can be completed, said the sheriff's office. These types of tests take a significant amount of time. And again, we ask for patience from the public as this investigation continues. A thorough and detailed investigation is the top priority of the Mesa County Sheriff's Office. Our hope is to positively identify the victim while remaining respectful of the victim and the victim's family. The sheriff's office did not indicate if a cause of death or the sex of the victim had been identified in the first news release. They reported investigators believe this is an isolated incident and there's no no ongoing threat to the community. The remains were found at a home in Grand Junction, Colorado, about 200 miles west of Denver. 
The sheriff's office confirmed to CNN in an email that the remains were found in a freezer in the home. This sounds exactly like last week's story. Sam Traster, who lives across the street from the home, told CNN affiliate uh, KUSA workers in white hazmat suits first drew her attention to the investigation unfolding in her neighborhood. I feel so bad, Traster told KUSA. I would hate to have to be the family missing that loved one right now. It'd be heartbreaking. Well, you know, this is one of those things. Well, why didn't this reporter who was talking to this neighbor across the street ask, well, who lives there? Maybe they did and they don't want to publish it or something. Of course, there's no address. Maybe I could have looked like on sometimes you might find something like that on uh, websleuths.com. But I did not have a chance uh, to look into that and putting together tonight's show. But this is also, like I said, this is one of those stories where, well, you're talking to the neighbor. Does the neighbor not have anything more to say? Who lives there? Who lived there? Did somebody go missing from there? What do you know about the people who used to live there? Was this house kind of abandoned for a long time? Did you see anything suspicious over there? I'm guessing probably the police have. It just would be nice if they included at least some of those points in a news article. I mean, you went through the time of putting this article together, reporter. You could reveal at least a few more details that I don't think would get in the way of some sort of investigation. Now, of course, the big difference is that with last week's uh, story, that woman, it seems, was all one piece. She was all together. And I guess leaving up the idea that did she just lose her mind and put herself in that freezer and die or something. Whereas with this, it's only parts of a person. Uh, And it's a human head and human hands And so where is the rest of the person? What the first thing that comes to my mind is that, yes, this person was murdered and the human head and human hands were put there and the body was put somewhere else where it might be found. So this person could not be identified, of course, with DNA and everything. I think what I'm saying is we might have to be open to the idea that this if this is a murder, it might be several, several years old. Um, that's something that comes to mind. And of course, what is, what can most identify a person usually, of course, with DNA, you can uh, do that. Uh, but back in the day, what did some killers do? They would get, you'd find a body, but the head and the hands were missing because unless the person really had some distinguishing characteristics, otherwise like a tattoo or something. Hard to identify people. But with the head, you don't have a picture. You can't take a picture of the head. And then, of course, the hands are missing. You can't do any fingerprinting. So this is something that comes to mind. I also did not have a chance in putting tonight's show together. I actually was um, wanted to maybe do a name of search to see in the, like that Mesa County and maybe the surrounding area who's missing in that area. Of course, it might not be missing it very well. We must be open to the idea that the rest of the body was found somewhere else and was identified. And they just never found the head and the head and the hands. And now they have found the head and the hands and they did it, uh, I guess by, by accident. So I hope um, just like the story from last week that involved the freezer, I'm hoping uh, that we uh, can find out exactly 
what went on here. Uh, Hazel says, oh, my God, another freezer fund. What's going on? Yeah, that sure is gruesome, Charlotte. I agree. I just uh, I don't have a very high tolerance for stuff like that. I couldn't I couldn't. You know, I will tell you the way I am just as a disc golfer. You know, you're out in the course and maybe you'll run across a dead bird or a dead raccoon or something like that. It's just, it's just I, of course, I feel very sad too, but it also is kind of like icky. Keep me away from that. And uh, I don't have a very high tolerance for seeing blood. It, I, maybe I mentioned from some weeks ago, I went to get blood done. And the first woman who tried to get the vein missed it. So she basically just stuck with a needle and didn't hit anything. It just went right into my elbow and didn't hit the artery or vein or whatever. Uh, and then she had to get somebody else to actually do it. There was a time where if that would have happened at a time, I would have just probably fainted right there. So I have a low tolerance for this. So I can't imagine going into some house and, and seeing something like this. It just... It was very sad. It's somebody. And uh, being that the head and hands were cut off, to me, that kind of points toward foul play. Now, what kind of foul play? We just don't know. Uh, seems like the first thing you would take when you move out. Yes. Yes, if you killed somebody and you left the head and the hands in there, that you'd think that you'd take those with you, uh, Sheree, to continue to cover up your crime. Just... <laughs> You know, the issue is that uh, as our population changes and people move, we do have a lot of abandoned houses. We know we hear about, um, you know, I even know in my, uh, you know, I was amazed uh, when I went back to see my dad in this last summer that we took a drive down to my hometown of Leechburg, Pennsylvania. And, you know, he doesn't live there. My parents moved out of there in 2004. Uh, but we went down there, and we went down, like, this old road. And um, it's amazing. I, you know, I still have a, an idea of what my hometown looked like. And I can remember when these houses, people lived in these houses. Kids I went to school with, to high school with, lived in these houses. Now these houses are totally abandoned. And the weeds and everything's just the, – the, the roofs are coming apart. The, the grass has not been mowed and everything else. It's very sad. And like I said, I can remember this – just seems like yesterday. I can remember going on that road 30 years ago, and people did live in those houses. you know. And there were newer cars parked in the driveway and everything else. Now these places are totally abandoned. So is there still electricity going to these places or whatever? I, I really don't know. But surely nobody's living in those houses, and um, it's very sad. But this is also what kind of comes to my mind when I think about this. Was this just like, once again, another abandoned house, and somebody finally went in there and found that? Um, <laughs> yeah, Hazel says, yeah, don't move out without your body parts. Exactly. And there's Rockford. Rockford making his first appearance tonight. Good to see you, Rockford. Hope you're well. Uh, in most new homes and almost all apartments, appliances are included. It's convenient and efficient. Serious question, even if we give them a thorough cleaning. Are 100% good 
with used appliances. Oh my gosh, Rockford. Yeah, of course you can buy used appliances. Who knows what those appliances were used for? Oh my. So um, we'll keep an eye on that. You know, like I said, we cover so many stories here and I have a podcast to run. Uh, maybe some of you will uh, keep an eye on that story uh, to see if there's any new news on it. Uh, see if they find out who the head and the hands belong to. So let's move on to this. I want to um, – there is this story um, regarding Dan Markell and his ex-wife's uh, you know, his ex, I guess, mother-in-law. Uh, the video has now been released, and uh, I don't know how many of you have seen it, but she is a bit snippy. Uh, just to run this down for some of you, is that it seems, it appears, allegedly, you could believe uh, that she and her husband were fleeing the country. They had a one-way ticket to Vietnam, and it wasn't just that they had the ticket or everything. They were at the airport. They were on the jetway, and the jetway, of course, is that hallway that goes from like the airport out to the jet, and you walk and step on. They were there when they got stopped by police. Now, I think what Cherie told me – I think it was you, Cherie – that – the reason it happened that way is because she, the mother-in-law, Dan Markell's ex-mother-in-law, had been at the jail and had been talking to her son who was convicted at that point. And something about that, of course, they're talking over the phones or something. Of course, all those conversations are recorded or li- they're at least listened to. And somebody alerted, hey, it sounds to me like uh, you know these two, these Adelsons, I think they're fleeing the country. Think they're go- I think they're going out of a country. I think they you know, might be going to a country where they might be able to stay for a while and everything. And so that's – so they went to the airport and got stopped. I mean this is just like something right out of a movie or something. So I want to read the story to you. So they were headed one-way tickets to Vietnam of all places. Um, and some Some people might just guess, well – you know, that is one of many uh, – you should know it's one of many countries uh, that does not have an extradition treaty with the United States. Um, in fact, I meant to look that list up, but you should know there are way, way more countries on this earth that do not have extradition treaties with the United States than the ones who do. And in fact, I think you would be uh, surprised to find – you know, see so many countries, even though they are allies of ours – we don't have extradition treaties with them. It's very interesting. And then sometimes these extradition treaties can be a little touchy. Like with Canada, we have an extradition treaty. But if the Canadian authorities think by turning this person over that we're going to give him or her the death penalty, because you don't have the death penalty in Canada, they might not extradite the person back to the United States. I think the person's going to be executed. Things like that. So, Miami, startling new video involving a sensational alleged murder for hire plot shows a 73-year-old grandma being taken into custody. Oh, if she was only that innocent. Body camera video shows Florida police arresting Donna Adelson, A-D-E-L-S-O-N, 
at Miami International Airport as she and her husband attempted to board a one-way flight to Vietnam. All the places you choose to go, you choose to go to a place that, uh, like that. I mean, you could go to South America. It's beautiful this time of year. She is now scheduled to appear in court on Monday. In the video from November, Donna was escorted through the airport and into a police car. Donna said, I didn't know there was a warrant. Well, that's kind of a non sequitur, Donna. Donna's facing first-degree murder and solicitation of murder charges, accused of conspiring with her son and several others to have her former son-in-law, Florida State University law professor Dan Markell, killed in the driveway of his home in 2014. Like I said, well before Unfound ever got started, I like followed everything piece of information on this at the time markel it seems like a, a a different lifetime at the time markel was in a bitter court fight with his ex-wife wendy adelson who wanted to move with her two sons their two sons to be close to her mother donna and other family in south florida but when markel refused pr- prosecutors say the adelsons decided to take matters into their own hands when did it appear to have a uh, to have a motive who did it appear to have a motive to want dan markel dead his own family said prosecutor George Kappelman. Prosecutors allege Donna was a driving force behind the deadly scheme. Her son Charles was convicted of first-degree murder, is now serving a mandatory life sentence here in Florida. ABC News obtained jail calls between Charlie and Donna one week before she allegedly tried to flee the country. If there is uh, extradition from Vietnam, because we, we've totally looked at all the places. I mean, I could go to Korea and China, but there's no extradition, Donna said. Prosecutors... Um, well, uh, listen to those all the time. That's when the FBI and state attorney jumped in on it, went to the airport, probably had her on a new fly list. They picked her up right at the airport. Oh my goodness. Prosecutors believe Donna was trying to flee the country and said that that could be used as a piece of evidence against her. Donna's attorney told ABC news. She's innocent. We look forward to proving it at a trial. She's due back in court on Monday, which I think is today. Uh, so I also want to read this. Um, this has to do with, the 2014 interview of Wendy Allison. So Dan Markell's um, ex-wife. Let's see what everybody's uh, saying here. I uh, Let's see here. Um, okay, they're talking about apply. Everybody's getting an update on used appliances. That's kind of funny. Uh, Lisa says, I binged the entire Charlie Adelson trial on YouTube while I was sick in bed this past week and saw a video of Donna being taken into custody as well. Charlie spent a lot of time in Vietnam getting to know the ladies, uh, so I'm sure he recommended to mom and dad right. So maybe there was a connection there. And Hazel Adelson's lawyer, Dan Rashbaum, did an interview recently and said, Donna is a lovely, kind, polite person, and he's gen." And he's genuinely very fond of her, just saying, well, what's he's getting paid to say that, <laughs> right? He's getting paid to say that, probably. All right. Uh, I want to read now this other article, different source, and it has to do with Wendy Adelson's, uh, what she said way back in 2014. In her 2014, so this is 10 years ago now, the detective tells Wendy That's what this is about. There was a shooting at your home. So she's finding out for the first time, allegedly, that her husband was shot and killed. That's what this is about. There was a shooting at your home or your ex-husband's home. He has been taken to the hospital. He's not going to survive. 
Wendy Allison bursts into tears and exclaims, oh my God, Allison says, sobbing throughout, what happened? I just don't understand. How could this happen? Wendy tells the detective, I'm scared. I don't know why this would happen. It really scares me because, I mean, if there's someone out there that's willing to do this to him, I'm scared for the kids. Given the focus on her brother, a couple statements stand out. She, uh, Wendy says that she is scared somebody maybe did this, not because they hate Danny, but because they thought this was good somehow. She then admits that her brother joked with her earlier that day about how a television might be cheaper than a hitman to deal with the problems in her life. And so this is a quote from her. And I was talking to him about whether it made sense to pay it or fix it or get a new one, she said. And it was always his joke like, he knew that Danny treated me badly, and it was always his joke. He said, I, <clears throat> I looked into hiring a hitman, but it was cheaper to get you with this TV. That is kind of a funny joke if somebody hadn't died. Allison maintained the same line on the trial, on the stand in the trial this, this week uh, of Meg Bonwa. Her, fa- her brother was convicted, and reports indicate it was a prison call between Donna and her son in prison that may have led to the warrant for Donna's arrest. Donna was arrested at the Miami airport. She is now charged with first-degree murder. Notably, Wendy is not charged and may not have been told of the alleged plot. The same could be true of her father. This case rocked the illegal academic community. Marco was a well-known blogger. Wendy opposed his demands for the kids to remain in joint custody near him rather than move out of the state. Now, there is one wrinkle, as this article says. Since Donna's husband was with her on this flight... <clears throat> prosecutors could threaten charges against him to push Donna to accepting a plea with full disclosure of the alleged conspiracy. And uh, what they're saying is, okay, maybe Donna's husband, uh, the father, I guess this is Wendy's father too, or maybe this is uh, a new guy in Donna's life. I don't know. But, he may not have known about the plot to kill Dan at all, but if he suspected something and knew that they were leaving the country so as to avoid something for Donna, then he becomes a co-conspirator at that point, and at least according to Florida law. So I guess that is something they're trying to determine right now. And I, as I have written in my notes here, and I, I realize that at least in Western culture, in maybe especially American culture, there's a lot of jokes that are made about mother-in-laws or just in-laws in general. And uh, I think we're now getting an idea why Dan and his wife got divorced. <laughs> I mean, even if she had nothing to do with this, she doesn't exactly sound like uh, a woman who anybody would want as a mother-in-law. You know, what I mean, with a mother-in-law like that, who needs enemies? And I urge you to watch the the video when the police come up on her. And they try to take her phone away and she, you know, she's jerking it away. And that could just be a natural reaction. Like, you know, she's totally surprised and everything else. But let's just admit it. Um, 
you really, 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 really um, have to want to get out of the country if you're going. No offense to any Vietnamese out there. But a one-way ticket to Vietnam sounds like you're going away for a while. At the same point, you're saying, I had nothing to do with this. Well, if you had nothing to do with this, then just let the legal process play out. I realize uh, sometimes people are falsely convicted. I get that. And I realize there are a lot of people uh, who suspect that Donald, at the very least, Donna knew what happened and didn't say anything to anybody. But fleeing the country, one-way ticket, I mean, that is just so cliché. It is, as we all know. It's so cliche, and we know of other people who have done the same thing who surely did commit crimes. Like, if we want to go there, like Roman Polanski going back to, um, you know, that's why he's been in France, what, since the 1970s or something, because he uh, allegedly or maybe 100% surely raped uh, uh you know uh an underage girl uh just a girl underage girl is a uh, a little too obvious uh she he raped a girl and then he didn't want to be prosecuted for it so he went to France and France i guess doesn't have an extradition will not hand him back over to the United States and there's a lot of back and forth about who supports him and should they just let it go and all of that um so that's what he did, and a lot of other people have done that. I can't think of any stories of people who uh, stories where people fleeing the country who anybody thought were actually innocent. So I guess on maybe on that alone, we have to start thinking that yeah, Donna did this because she has a guilty conscience, and she happens to believe that if she has you know she has to defend herself in court, it's not going to go very well. Wow, I, you know, I, you know, I, I've, you know, I had a, I've had a chance to think back to that. Uh, going back to 2014 when Dan Markell was murdered, and just the whole, you know, he's pulling in, he's on the phone, he says somebody's in my driveway, and this is one of those things, I guess, when you plan a murder like this, you can't, can't anticipate it. I think we have to be open to the idea that maybe if he's not on the phone, if he's just pulling into his driveway and people don't know that there was somebody actually waiting in the driveway and all that, we could get maybe a different, um, you know, different perspective on it. But being that he was on the phone and he said, you know, there's somebody standing in the driveway or like waiting for me or something like that. And then the person just goes right into the garage and kills him, shoots him right through the it shoots him right through the window. This does sound like a very, 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 very planned murder. Person doesn't let him get out of the car, doesn't let him shut off the car, doesn't allow him to roll down his window. There's no theft. There's no burglary. There's no damage to the house or anything else. It's just boom, and they're gone right through a window, a, a car window. Yeah, that's... uh man, and so I, I can remember thinking about, you know, just this was some sort of plan. Somebody wanted him dead. 
And then they had that Prius and all that. Just a lot of things come back to my mind. Um, $600 an hour for the lawyer. Uh, good for her. Uh, it sounds like they can afford it. Rockford accept innocence isn't proven a trial only absence of guilt. Uh, but whatever lawyer guy. Yeah, it's interesting. Huh? Sheree Lisa recorded interview with Charlie and his dad made it pretty clear that dad knows a lot, but could have been after the fact, like the day of the murder, but after the murder, Hazel, the things Donna discussed in emails with Wendy, she comes across as deranged. Yeah. Um, once again, good lesson. Uh, of course, easy for me to talk. I'm not married. I have no plans of getting married, so I'm not ever going to have any in-laws. <coughs> but are all you people out there who are thinking about getting married... You might want to give them the once hour to make sure they maybe uh, you, they seem like the type of people who won't plot to kill you if you, uh, you know, upset their daughter or son or something. You might want to take a long, you know, take a long thought, a long time, uh, some time for thinking about that. So there you go. Now I want to move. Speaking of um, trials and whether people were innocent or not, I have a Steve Pankey letter to read to you. And it's this one right now. Here it's stated, uh, and the reason, you know, I've got some other ones, but uh, I'm not reading anything he sends me that doesn't have anything to do with uh, Janelle Matthews and her murder and everything else. I mean, he's writing to me you know, about the facilities there. And he's writing to me about, you know, they're, you know, he's getting moved here. And I'm just, I've just resolved that if he writes me something about any insight into Janelle's murder or anything like that, I'll make it public. Uh, Otherwise uh, anything else he writes to me will never see the light of day. So um, this letter has to do uh, is a response to what I wrote to him. I mailed that letter right when I got to Pennsylvania. So that would have been what, December 13th. And this is dated December 29th of 2023. And this is kind of a response to what I wrote him. I told him that, you know, where there's this TV show and I told him that it seems to me that there are people out there who are maybe trying to connect Steve to other dirt disappearances and or murders in Colorado around that, you know, early eighties to mid eighties timeframe. I told him that, although I didn't give him any names. So, uh, this is what he had to say back to me. And thank you for your informative letter and the good spirit. It was written in, please keep me informed. Consider, uh, he wants me to consider doing another podcast. I'm not doing that to answer your questions. I have never killed anyone. I have never been questioned about other murders. And he made a joke here. I am kind of easy to find. So, and, you know, like I said, this kind of exposed at least a little bit of uh, what they asked me about. Like I said, I can only, I can only say so much, but from the questioning that happened for this TV show that will come out later this year, certainly got the idea that maybe in this series, a three episode series or how long it's going to be, 
the questions that I got kind of toward the end of the, my time led me to believe that there are some unsolved cases that they're trying to see if Steve could be involved in this as well. And they gave me some names. So I told Steve this and he goes, I've never, he said, he says, I've never been questioned about other murders, you know, and he says, I am kind of easy to find. I guess what he's saying is, you know, if they really wanted to question me about all these things, they know where I am. So there's that. And what he says is all it takes is for one of the other murders to be justly solved to make Rourke. So uh, this is the first time, by the way, that Steve has ever mentioned Michael Rourke, the prosecutor, solved to make Rourke look like a fool. The pendulum could swing in the other direction. So he's saying, I guess what Steve is saying, well, there's other solved, unsolved murders and disappearances. Maybe they could solve some of those. And if they are kind of like Janelle's murder, then maybe they'll have somebody else to look at. And I guess what he's saying is then, then they might begin to understand that I didn't kill Janelle. Once again, I'm going to state it for the record. I'm not saying Steve killed her. I'm not saying he didn't kill her. All I'm saying is that I didn't believe that the prosecution, even though I was part of the prosecution, proved it beyond a reasonable doubt. That is my, that is my where I am on this. And so then uh, Steve loves theoreticals, so I'm going to read this to you. President Kennedy was murdered in the United States in Dallas. Maybe someone saw a 12-year-old. I guess Steve would have been 12 at the time. Blonde kid on the grassy knoll. Maybe there should be a multi-episode TV program making it look like I began my 30-year-old serial killer career by murdering President Kennedy. They can prove I lived in the United States and Kennedy was murdered in the United States. An open and shut case. Uh, he says, please keep an open mind and keep me informed. And he says, PS, please feel free to share this letter. And then he also wants to thank, um, he wants me to share this letter with the, uh, actually investigator who testified, who said that he never could clear Norris Drake. And then Steve also says, like on the side of the paper, I appreciate the former detective's honesty because I have some things to write about. I, I told Steve that he he wanted me to track down uh, this detective who stated that Norris Drake could never be cleared. I did that. I told Steve I did that. And I told him about the conversation. So um, that is – the letter I got, like I said, it was mailed on the 29th, but I didn't – I got it sometime last week. Why well, it took so long, I don't know. Now, you should know I got another letter from him today, uh, but as you can see, I don't know if you can tell here, uh, that I've not opened it yet. So I don't know what it says, and if it says something worth reading, I will read it next week. And by the way, I did send him a letter today. All right, uh, let's see what um, everybody is saying here. Hazel says, thankfully, Dan's next-door neighbor heard and looked outside viewing car drive away. That's right, Hazel. There was also a house in the area uh, that had a video camera or something that also caught the Prius going by way back in 2014 for the murder of Dan McHale. That's right, Markel. Latin King does a hit in a Prius. Is, is that it? Was that the gang that they were part of? Uh, Art Vandalay. Nice. Um, was that, that? Okay. I, did, I don't know if I remembered that. 
Uh, no hired hitman drives a Prius. Well, they rented it, so they were probably just limited to what was there. Of course, we know Priuses are quite common. And if you've ever seen that car, it was a green one, so it's a very common car. Um, but I think probably one of the mistakes they made is I think they left the license plate on it. That doesn't, that's going to make it easy. <coughs> Hazel says, hi, take my ex-mother-in-law shopping every week. Well, I'm glad you get in with, uh, along with your ex-mother-in-law shopping. Uh, I hope uh, you get, I guess you two get along, but I'm here to tell you, Hazel, if you go missing, your ex-mother-in-law is going to be on my list. Rockford. Steve Panky Mailbag has quickly become one of my favorite segments on the live show. Uh, I am to please, Rockford. Um, so there you go. Let's go to this Columbus, Columbus Ohio uh, story. Uh, once again, I want to make it clear for the record, I've not read this book. In this article, um, it doesn't seem to me that people who have read it have been that impressed by it. But given that we've covered some disappearances in Columbus, Ohio, or near there, Jamie Bowen, Megan Lancaster, or if you want to go in a male direction, Brian Schaefer, I thought I'd better read this story. A recently published true crime book theorizes that a string of murders and missing persons cases in the Columbus, Ohio area is the result of serial killers. So I guess plural. In Killers Amidst Killers, what a title. Investigative journalist Billy Jensen reports on 18 missing and murdered people or murdered women in the Columbus area. The cases date to 2017 when two friends, Lindsay Maccabee, 30, and Daniel Green, 25, went missing within weeks of each other. The remains were both found a short time later. Both Maccabee and Green struggled with addiction, the book claims. The book details an investigation into Maccabee and Green's cases, and Jensen uncovers 18 other unsolved cases. I don't know if he really un uncovers them. I mean, all of this stuff is public record. Unsolved cases of missing and murdered women in the area. The victims reported on in the book struggle with opioid addiction, according to the book description. Throughout Jensen's investigation, he theorizes that the victims were the women were victims of serial killers operating under the cover of the opioid epidemic in Columbus. Sharks go where the swimmers are, the book description says. That's a nice um, cliche. Serial killers go where the easy prey are, ground zero of the opioid epidemic, the heart of America. A publisher's weekly review reads, Jensen asks a lot of questions but gets few answers. In this thought-provoking and disturbing exam examination of how serial killers could have operated unsuspectedly in areas of Ohio ravaged by the opioid epidemic during the 2010s. The 256-page page book, wow, can be found at Barnes & Noble and on Amazon, along with numerous other bookstores and online retailers. Uh, like I said, I've not read it. I'm not getting paid to promote it. But given that we've um, covered some Columbus, Ohio disappearances, I thought I'd better read this article. Once again, it's called Killers Amidst. Let me get that right. Let me uh, want to get it right. The book based stink, but I want to get the title right. Killers Amidst Killers. And the author is Billy Jensen. Now, if you need a reminder, uh, at least a few of those disappearances, 
uh, that we've covered in Columbus or nearby. We had Jamie Bowen, and I didn't put this in the update episode. Didn't know how appropriate it was, but my understanding is that her sister died um, near the end of last year. So the sister, I think it's the same sister that Jamie Jamie was with the day she disappeared. I believe that sister died sometime in like November or December of 2023. Now to go over Jamie's disappearance, um, of course, Jamie had some addictions. She was doing some prostituting. And she was at her sister's, and the story went that she was walking from her sister's to her mother's. I think if you go to the Unfound YouTube channel, you can find, I think, uh, a map analysis I did of that probably several years ago, maybe 2019. I know I didn't do it when the episode originally came out, but I know I eventually did one. But she was supposed to be walking from her sister's to her mother's. She never ended up at her mother's. She was never seen again. Uh, I'm guessing that no remains have ever been found that, you know, if the DNA testing or something have never been connected to Jamie. Uh, a lot of different possibilities here. Very well could be that she died at her sister's and the, somebody covered it up. Very well could be that she just got picked up right off the street. Very could well could be that she met some guy who was going to pay for sex and something happened there. These are all possibilities. And uh, for that guest, uh, for that interview, I had her mother and then a woman who was helping her mother out and trying to figure out what happened to Jamie. That's an episode, I I guess it came out in 2018, maybe 2017, 2018. So if you're unfamiliar with that episode, if you've not listened to it yet, maybe would be a good time to go check that one out. Of course, another one. and I went to the Charlie Project, and I said oh, her disappearance may be connected to the disappearance of Megan Lancaster. I'll get to that in a moment. Holly Logan, Wanda Lemons, and Charlotte Trago, and the deaths of Tamika Lynch and Tiffany Sayre. Some of the women had places and people in common, and all were involved with drugs. So I'm guessing these women I just mentioned are also mentioned in that book, but it says there's 18. So I don't, I don't know who all the other women are. Now, as far as Megan Lancaster goes, uh, that was the, remember, Mike Moran. Of course, he's dead now. Uh, Megan had that black book with all of these men that she knew and their phone numbers, seemingly people who had been customers of hers uh, while she was a prostitute. There were people of prominence, police officers, chief of police. She had the chief of police's phone number in there. And then she went missing. Her car was found in the parking lot of a grocery store or Walmart or something. And she's never been uh, seen again. However, seemingly, who was it? Um, Of course, we have to remember that her sister-in-law, who was the guest for that episode, she is now deceased. And um, the claim was that they actually saw her in a car with a guy going the opposite direction. And uh, Megan was never seen again. So I'm guessing she's get mentioned. She gets mentioned in this book, although technically she went missing from the Chillicothe area of uh, Ohio. But I've not read the book. Probably won't read it because I don't have a lot of time for reading that doesn't involve actually going reading that involves disappearances. I'm going to cover on Unfound. But if anybody gets that book, it's called Killers Amidst Killers. If you happen to get it, read it. 
Let me know uh, what you think of it. Let me know if there's anything in there you think I should know about regarding any disappearances. Um, I would appreciate that. Killers amidst killers. I have no idea of the quality of the book, um, but there you go. All right, finally, before we get to uh, this Friday's episode, questions are swirling over the mysterious deaths of deaths of three Kansas City Chiefs fans who froze to death in a friend's backyard after watching a playoff game. This is a story I just saw today. David Harrington, Ricky Johnson, and Clayton McGinney visited an unnamed friend's house on January 7th. So this is not the most recent game. Uh, This is some weeks ago. To watch the Chiefs playoff win against the Chargers, but never made it home. Did they play the Chargers? Is that the Chargers? Okay. When the fiancé of one of the men couldn't get a hold of him for two days, she broke into the home to discover one of their bodies on the back porch. No, it wasn't. Was it the Chargers? Were the Chargers in the playoffs? After police were called, they quickly found the bodies of the other two men also in the backyard. The homeowner claimed the three men froze to death and investigators ruled out foul play as they declined to make any rest. So it seems like this homeowner knew that these guys were dead in his backyard and he didn't do anything about it. Those crazy Kansas City Chiefs fans, uh, all those Taylor Swift fans. Now the loved ones of the men are speaking out to demand answers as they insist the reported circumstances of the deaths simply don't add up. Nobody believes this story, said Harrington's mother, Jennifer Marquez. None of his friends, none of the families, none of us believe it. Everybody's furious. The family of Johnson, a father of three, spoke with News Nation this week, saying they have been left grief-stricken and confused at the sudden death of the loving man. It's very hard holding up, said Johnson's mother, Norma. Everything is, something is not right. She said the police are not doing anything to solve the mystery of her son's passing and called for the owner of the home, who has not been publicly identified, to be at least investigated. Although relatives of the men feel investigators haven't given the case enough attention, Kansas City Police Department previously said they were awaiting medical examiner's results on a cause of death before moving forward. The department department did not immediately respond to a request for an update to the case, Uh, but the answers from police have done little to satisfy the men's loved ones, with Norma speculating the three were poisoned. There's no evidence there that has been presented by police to support that theory. Some who claim to know that the man, know the man, know the men claim the circumstances of the owner of the home was even more bizarre. With a Facebook post written by a friend, Kayla Latier, <coughs> reported by Inside Edition, alleging he had a strange reaction when confronted. He was inside his home alive with, while my friends were dead in his yard for Lord knows how long. They were all hanging out since after the game Sunday. He knew people were looking for them, she wrote. He read messages of people searching for them on Tuesday. My husband banged on his door for 20 minutes. My friend banged on his door and then busted a window and yelled and announced her presence while she was while she's still inside and still nothing from him. Then the cops come 10 minutes later and he comes out nonchalant in his boxers with an empty wine glass in his hand uh, in boxers with wine. Okay. All right. That's one way to drink. And... Um, I lost my place. Johnson's sister added they haven't heard much at all from investigators and have been left in the dark how they came to their conclusion that no foul play was involved. The two-day delay in finding the men and the lack of any reporting of their disappearances has also raised eyebrows 
Johnson's brother, Jonathan Price, um, not the actor, said that he heard the owner of the home had animals that would need to go outside and claimed the city didn't get enough snow to submerge the men for them to be hidden for days. There are many things that don't add up. We just don't understand how somebody would at least be investigated in any way. We've heard that he's moving out as well, so we don't know if he'll be even sticking around much longer. Price said he didn't want to speculate over his brother's death, but said the circumstances don't make sense to him at all. My brother was a smart man. There's no way he would have just froze to death. Freezing to death is not the cause of death that I would accept. In a GoFundMe for Johnson's funeral, he was described as a cherished son, brother, uncle, and friend who was beloved by his three beautiful daughters. Johnson's father raised the possibility of legal action, telling KSHB that he's retained, retained an attorney is waiting for a search warrant to be issued on the home. I'm not going to stand back and let it go, he said. I will go until the day I die to get this figured out. So the homeowner was just going about his business while these three guys were dead in his backyard, just like right there in the backyard where he could see them. Of course, what this immediately reminds me of is, of course, this thing going on with his Karen Reed character. My first thought is, where's Karen Reed? Where was Karen Reed when all of this happened? Where was she? That was my first thought. Um, let me see um, what this said. Uh, Charlie, Sheree uh, says, one of them is, oh, going back to Dan Markell, one of them is the Latin King. There was the second trip also. It was a Tall tag, toll tag that gave them away. Okay, thank you, Shri. Caught by the Sun Pass, Lisa says, because Tallahassee didn't have tolls at the time Miami did. Uh, Rockford says, there's a commenter on various forums pushing a Columbus serial killer theory that it was absurd. I wonder if it's the same or overlaps with Jensen's. Does the book mention Julie Popovich? Rockford, I have no idea. I've not read it. But this could just be the, the author pimping his own book. One, uh, Just one way to put it, pimping. That story, the story is nuts. This happened several weeks ago at January 7th. Rockford says Chargers did not make playoffs. Chiefs beat Dolphins, then Bills. That's what I was thinking. Chargers didn't make the playoffs, so they didn't even don't how do you get that wrong? Uh was the Chargers game. Oh, so wait. 24 was Chargers game, and Chiefs fans are the best. People around here speculate. Fentanyl lace drugs. So, okay, so what we're saying is. Um, the Chiefs did play the Chargers, but this was not the playoff game, maybe. Okay. Uh, I lived in Lima, Ohio, and I do believe there could have been at least one serial killer in Ohio, not necessarily in Columbus. Hazel, oh, Lisa, just Sarah Cohen just doesn't make any sense. Let's face it, Columbus has more than its fair share of baffling disappearance as a murder shaler. Uh, Schaefer, Davis, Labute, but it's a huge and growing city, and the cases don't seem related at all. Now, they don't seem related. Of course, there are people now in the Colonial Parkway area that are even more than ever thinking that all those related are related, even though they don't seem to be. Of course, um, I, I had my, I've had my say more than once on that. And as far as this Wilmer guy goes, it very well may be that they thought he killed the two in 1987, but they couldn't prove it. And so when Keith and Sam went missing in 1980, they just started looking at him again. And that's all. And it's got flipped around. So the reason they put him on Keith and, and uh, Sandra was because of the year before. It wasn't flipped around. Like they thought he did something in 88, and then they looked at something in 87. It's actually the opposite. Just saying. 
All right. Uh, do I need to mention anything else? Uh, of course, we're getting to the end of the month. Uh, new Unfound Now will be coming out. And um, I think I got to everything tonight. Good job, Ed. All right. This Friday, we're uh, coming uh, right back to my state of Florida for the disappearance of Glenda Gabby Michelle Griffin. Uh, Gabby was her nickname, uh, but uh, people called her Michelle, even though Glenda was uh, her official uh, first name, but friends uh, called her Gabby as a nickname, but Michelle is how she is referred to in the episode. She went missing from Perry, Florida, which is kind of right up there where uh, the panhandle starts. She went missing on November 8th of 2015. Speaking of football, she went missing after watching a Dallas Cowboys game with a friend of hers, a guy over at his house. And her mother, Edna Mitchell, is the guest. In fact, I just did that interview this morning. Edna did a fantastic job. It's, of course, we're getting back to the more traditional, uh, the, the format that you're used to here at Unfound uh, for this Friday. Well, like I said, next week, we're going to do the Spanish episode. So it's kind of the same format, but... I'll talk about that next week. Of course, I already talked about a little bit today. But uh, once again, this is Glenda Gabby Michelle Griffin. She is on NamUs. She is on the Charlie Project. Perry, Florida, November 8th, 2015. Her mother, Edna, is the guest. And this disappearance is going to remind you of a lot of the disappearance of Kent Jacobs, which goes way back to 2017, in which... He went over to a buddy's place to watch a NASCAR race. That friend allegedly fell asleep. When that friend awoke, Kent was gone. Of course, Kent is still missing, and this is that was in what North Carolina. So this is kind of like that, where the guy said that he woke up a little later. His dog was barking. Michelle wasn't there, but he thought he heard something outside. He looked out there, and it was night, and there were taillights going away from his house and Michelle wasn't there never to be seen again, even though her car was still there, her phone and her purse were missing. And so it seemed to this guy that somebody picked her up. Of course, it'll be up to you to determine whether you think this guy is telling the truth or not. So once again, Glenda Gabby, Michelle Griffin, G R I F F I N Perry, Florida, November 8th, 2015. Her mother, Edna is the guest. Let me see what everybody's uh, saying here. Great analogy, Ed. Um, thanks. I thanks. Uh, try to. I'm a writer. I can do analogies. Uh, you all covered all plan with a minute to spare. What are the odds? Yeah. So we're all done here. That's the end of this live show for January 22nd, 2024. Got a packed a lot into this episode. Really liked it. I didn't. I didn't get to a couple things, but. I'm pretty pleased with everything that got covered tonight. So I hope all of you are pleased. Give this video a thumbs up. Please consider joining below. Patreon.com forward slash Unpound Podcast. Please consider supporting us here in 2024. And I think that is about it. Uh, Good to see all of you. Yeah, everybody keep uh, heads on swivels. Shri, I hope you're feeling better. Let me know what you want to do about an interview, uh, your interview, maybe later this week or this weekend. And Charlie, say hi to the kids for me.
Good night.